I'm going to try to hide behind uh, the fact that I have a cold and uh, just kind of I apologize for how close the microphone is to my nose. I cannot imagine what it sounds like out there. <laughs> um, but uh, the truth is, uh, I'm. Uh, it's just. It's just. I don't know why. It's a hard. It's a hard day. And uh, God's been gracious that those haven't come when I've started preaching on Sundays. And I don't know why. Specifically today, I, uh, we're going to go back to Luke. That's probably part of it. I haven't preached. I, I had written this sermon. Uh, I had already written this sermon uh, the week that Alona died, and when I came back to it, when I looked back at it even a month ago, I knew that it, I couldn't preach it yet, and even now I am not able to preach what I had written then. I uh, shared with a pastor friend just how the passage that I would be preaching, and uh, he just... He said that for all of us, like the, the sermons we preach now are going to be different from the sermons we preach in 10 years, uh, that our lives will always be taking us downstream, and um, that that doesn't make them any less uh, of a, uh, a source of help and, uh, and any less true uh, for the things we go through at the time. I tried to write kind of a, uh, an intro to get us back into the mindset of reading and going through Luke. Uh, just a reminder that uh, Luke and John, uh, in seminary, you're always told you have to like find the purpose of the book. What's the author's purpose? And so Luke and John are kind enough that they just say, hey, here's why I wrote the book. So if you're ever told to do that in a seminary class, pick Luke or John as the book you're going to do. John tells us in uh, John 20, uh, he says, the reason I wrote this book is that so that you might know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing, you might have faith in him or you might have salvation in him. Luke tells us right at the front end. In Luke 1, in the first four verses, he says, I wrote this so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so the whole purpose of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, is that you can have certainty about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that you can be sure that these things are true. And so if you, uh, if you sometimes feel like your faith feels more like a, man, I sure hope this is true, than a Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God, then Luke is for you. If you, if you ever wonder 
where God is in the midst of struggle and suffering and loss, Luke writes to remind you that Jesus is the one that God sent because God remembered his promise, his covenant. If you ever feel overwhelmed by your own sin and uncleanness before a holy God, Luke writes to remind you that Jesus, the Son of God, is a friend of sinners. And if you ever feel like you're just too far removed from God by your choices or your past life actions, the book of Luke tells you Jesus is the seeker of lost things, mostly of lost souls. And if you feel feel broken, you feel permanently damaged by your sin, Luke writes his gospel to remind you that Jesus is the gentle healer, that he is the savior of sinners. So let's, uh, let's pick up now. We're in Luke 11. Uh, Luke is the only book that records what's called the, the journey to Jerusalem from chapter 9 through about chapter 21. Uh, it's this whole he, three times he'll say, and Jesus uh, set his face toward Jerusalem. And so we're right there at the beginning of that journey in Luke 11. And uh, the disciples uh, are watching Jesus, as you and I ought to be, and they see him in his relationship with his father, and they ask him a simple question. Lord, teach us to pray. And so let's, let's stand for the reading of God's word. This is Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, 
finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So the outline is pretty simple, just sort of three questions that we often wrestle with. Uh, what, what should you pray? How should you pray? Why should you pray? Um, most of us, uh, if we're honest, we don't really feel like we're very good at praying. We feel like that's like that's the one area in the Christian life that almost everyone would say, I, sh- I could pray more. I should pray more. I don't pray enough. Uh, so much so that there was a time that I was being interviewed for an assistant pastor position, and the elders just very politely asked, tell us about your prayer life, to which I responded, I don't pray, which really tells you how horrible I am at job interviews. But... <laughs> Uh, because then a friend uh, who was in the meeting later, he was like, what is the matter with you? <laughs> so, but there's just this always, there's always this sense when it comes to prayer that we feel like I'm not doing enough. I'm not, I'm not doing it ceaselessly enough. Um, you know, we tell each other we'll pray for one another uh, and then uh, we forget and then we feel guilty. Um, and I don't know if being reformed helps or hurts our prayer life. Because sometimes we can be more reformed than Jesus and act like, well, God is sovereign. Well, God has this eternal decree that never changes. Well, God has God is an unchanging God, and He like what like, what would happen if my prayers did change his mind? That would actually scare me from praying even more. I don't know what the best thing is, God. Don't ask me. You should know. And then it's like, well, then why, why pray at all if God has these things all determined ahead of time? And yet Jesus prayed a lot in his earthly ministry. His disciples, when things were going great, they thought, hey, let's get this, let's keep the momentum going, and then they'd lose sight of Jesus. He will have wandered off into the wilderness to spend days in prayer. Jesus, who knew God's will, do you ever wonder what God's will is for your life? You can, you can nod if you do. Do you ever wonder? Like, Jesus never wondered what God's will was, and yet he still prayed. Uh, Jesus was never in doubt about where he was in God's will, and yet he prayed. 
He prayed regularly and he prayed fervently and his prayers were heartfelt. And he prayed for his disciples. John 17 gives us just such a beautiful prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples and for those around him and even for his future disciples. He prays for you and me. Jesus prays and never in his prayer does he say, although none of this matters because you're sovereign and you're going to do what you're going to do. Amen. No, he prays and he says, God, keep them. God, protect them. God, make them one. Help them know that you've sent me. Jesus prays for us. And so it's beautiful that his disciples, or at least a disciple, sees him praying and says, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. And apparently that was a normal request for rabbis, that the, their disciples would ask them. And they even said, even John the Baptist, his disciples, he taught his disciples to pray. And so uh, Jesus teaches them to pray. And it's, it's a shortened version of the Lord's Prayer that many of you probably have memorized. Uh, you probably have the, the version from Matthew uh, chapter 6, where uh, where it's included in the Sermon on the Mount. It's interesting, in Matthew, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. So it's sort of a, a guideline. It's a, here's a model. Here it's interesting. A disciple asks, teach us to pray. He says, when you pray, say. And so it's, it's no model. He just says, here, pray this. This is a good way for you to begin to learn to pray. And it's shorter, but all of the pieces are still in it. It begins with Father. In Matthew, it begins with our Father, but here it's even more personal. Father, just opening the prayer is a reminder that you have a personal relationship with God, that He is your Father, that He has adopted you as His child. And he'll return to the importance of that in his illustration, his closing illustration. But God is your father. If you have a good relationship with your father here on earth, or you had a good relationship with your father here on earth, then, then this is a reminder that it's, it's even better. And if you had a bad relationship with your father here on earth, or you have a bad, it's a broken relationship, this is a, a reminder that your father in heaven is everything that your father wasn't. Like, he perfectly loves you. He perfectly delights in you. And so open your prayer just with that reminder that he's your father and he wants to hear from you. Father, hallowed be your name. Every one of these is a, a request of sorts. It's, it's worded in a uh, imperative, even command almost, but including hallowed be your name. We often read that as, so we're supposed to, first we have to uh, praise God. So we do the, you know, the acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It's a good way to, to form your prayers. 
But here he's not necessarily adoring God. He's asking God to make his name hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Make your name revered. Make your name mean something. Make your name holy. First, personally, in me, make your name holy to me. Make, make your name reverent. Make, it, make me understand your holiness. But not just me, your people. Make your name hallowed among your people. That they would praise you, that they would sing your praises. But even here on earth, make your name hallowed on the earth. Spread your goodness. Let people see your glory, that they would come to you. The second request, your kingdom come. There's this sense in which it's, again, all of these requests can be, can be personal and they, they can be more universal. Like asking for God's kingdom to come is asking God, make me submissive to your kingdom. Like bring your kingdom in my heart. Help me just, just delight in you. Delight in your ways. Be satisfied in you. Bring your kingdom among your people. Let, let your people be a people who, who, who live out of the, the, the dual understanding that you are their father and that you are their king. That they, they live in a very special place in your heart. And they are citizens of your kingdom. But bring your kingdom to earth. God, fix this mess. God, bring your kingdom in such a way that the earth has no other kingdoms left, including the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of death, the kingdom of sin. Praying your kingdom come is asking God to finish what he had begun, finish what he has promised all the way up to Christ, what he has begun now in Christ's life and death and resurrection. Now finish it, God. Bring your kingdom. Bring it home. Make it just make it better. Give us each day our, our daily bread. It's a simple recognition that we're super needy. Like we need God's sustenance. We need God's sustaining. We need God. God, give me what I need for serving you. Praying that God's name would be hallowed is saying, I, I'm going to take part in whatever it takes to make your name hallowed. Praying for God's kingdom to come is saying, I'm going to take part in 
advancing your kingdom. I'm going to spread the goodness of your kingdom. I'm going to speak of the goodness of your gospel. I'm going to work to eliminate signs of injustice and hatred and and pain and poverty. I'm going to do what you've called me to do, but I will need your strength to do that. So give me the strength that I need to do what you're calling me to do. And we as your people will need that strength because you're not just calling me alone, but you're calling us as a church to do this, to, to shine a light on a hill, to be a beacon, to be a place that people know this is where you come for rest and for care and for love and for hope. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. It's interesting, as he teaches here, it's it's a slightly different wording than when he taught the crowds. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors in Matthew. So it's more of a forgive us in the same way that we forgive. And even that's a, a frightening prayer. This doesn't say that. This just says, forgive us. Because we forgive everyone (laughs) indebted to us. And it's like, what do you mean, everyone? I mean, mean, everyone has an asterisk. So, I mean, we forgive almost everyone. So forgive me the way I forgive most. Please do not forgive me the way I forgive her. Please do not forgive me the way I forgive him. It's, a, it's both a prayer and a confession, isn't it? It's like, forgive us. Oh, I have some people I need to forgive. In fact, I probably have some people I need to ask for forgiveness from. Asking God for forgiveness is a reminder that, like, I'm going to the creator of the universe... And asking him to forgive my sin, and I have people who are at my level that I don't ask to forgive my sin. There's something, something just kind of incongruous about that, that I have no problem asking God to forgive me. I do struggle with asking you to forgive me. It's also a reminder, like all of these, all of these are plural. Have you noticed that? So even forgive us our sin. It's a recognition that, you know, we, your people, we sin. Sometimes we sin as a people. And it's appropriate for us to confess our groupthink, our assumptions, uh, the ways we have treated others. It's good for us to confess our sins. And lead us not into temptation. In other words, I need God's protection. Like the world, your kingdom hasn't come yet, so there's much that can tempt me. And I need God's protection.
You know, we've looked at this prayer in different places before. We looked through the Sermon on the Mount in a series years ago. I love the line that tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us today what we need today, because what it means is that the entire prayer is a daily prayer. In as much as we need God's sustaining power in our life every day, we need God's mercy and forgiveness every day. There's not a day that doesn't come that I don't need God's protection from temptation, that I don't need God's forgiveness for my sin, that I don't need God's uh, sustaining and empowering presence in my life, that I don't seek and desire the holiness of God's name and the beauty of God's kingdom. These are things that I should be pursuing every day. And so this is the what. What should you pray? You pray for God's holiness. You pray for God's kingdom. You pray for God's forgiveness. You pray for God's provision. You pray for guidance and protection from temptation. This is what you should pray. How should you pray? You should pray. Uh, according to the parable, you should pray shamelessly and rudely. Because the point of the parable is that the neighbor is shameless and rude in his request. In fact, it's not the relationship, even though that guy is trying to play up the relationship. Friend, as he comes at midnight, friend, could you help me out? And notice that the man in the locked house never responds well, friend, like he never acknowledges the friend part of it. And Jesus even says it's not because he's his friend. It's because he's so rude. It's because he's it's verse eight. Our, our Bibles say his impudence. It's it's this word for like shameless, rude, like it, it's it's beyond just poor etiquette or bad form, it's ridiculous, the request. His whole family's asleep, and yet he'll provide. He'll help him. This is how we should pray. Why? Why does Jesus tell this particular parable? Because you and I think God is annoyed with us. One reason we don't pray is because we don't think we deserve his audience. I can't pray right now. You don't know what I've done. I have to, I have to work up a little bit more holy reputation before God will hear me. I can't come to him this quickly after a sin. There's no, like, how, why would he forgive me? Like, I need to kind of show at least 10 minutes of remorse before I'll pray and ask for forgiveness. I can't ask for this thing because I sinned over here. And God, let's face it, we all think that God is just this supernatural leprechaun in the sky 
that if you don't word it just right, he's going to zap you. And if you don't have everything going just right, he's going to ignore you. And so that's why we don't pray. And, you know, we, we, we kind of laugh it off. We're like, oh, don't pray for patience. God will give you an opportunity to be patient. And so, but we view that with all of our lives. Oh, I don't pray for anything because who knows how God's going to tweak that and ruin my life. He says, listen, even if, even if God were half as bad as you think he is, if you were just persistent, wouldn't he at least answer your prayers to shut you up. It's a strange, it goes along with the, the, the story of the, the, the unjust judge and the persistent widow. Now we know That we don't have to look very far in our lives to know that ask and seek and knock isn't a recipe for only getting everything good and jelly bean sandwiches for the rest of your life. Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. In one sense, it's in connection to the parable or to the story. And so we might say, well, it has to do with asking for things, asking for God's help in caring for someone else, asking for God's help in restoring justice, asking for God's help. I'm going to feed someone at midnight. Or it might be in connection with the prayer that he just taught. Ask, seek, knock. Ask me to hallow my name. I will. In you, in your life, in the world, ask me for my kingdom to come, I'll bring it. Ask me for forgiveness. I delight in forgiving. Sometimes when we pray for God's will to be done, <clears throat> That's not really what we're praying for, is it? And Ilona humorously captured all of our hearts when we were first teaching her the Lord's Prayer. Because she just, she loved to pray, but she would just clasp her pudgy little hands and squint her eyes and she'd say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because who speaks thy and thee anymore? But we taught them for some reason, never having read to them the King James Bible, we taught them the, the old because that's what we all memorize. But she misunderstood, even as we all do. My kingdom come, my will be done. I had a 
<clears throat> I had a friend point out, how many of you, so some of you grew up, are familiar with the 70s. How many of you, um, how many of you either owned or your parents owned a station wagon? So do you remember that third row seat? Like what was different about the third row seat in the station wagon? Yeah, it faced backwards. You know, as Brian Regan, the comedian, says, you ride in that seat, you get a different vacation than everyone else. Um, you have no idea what those signs said. Um, but now today, we don't have that third row seat, but we do have child seats. And for the first several months of a child's life, their seat is backwards, and it's a safer way for them to ride. We approach life, first we approach life as though Jesus is my co-pilot, and so we're still in the driver's seat, he's next to us, but he can make adjustments as he needs. Um, I had a friend, I was, I was counseling her one time, and she was in a relationship with a guy, and, uh, and she blurted out to me, she said, I don't know what his problem is. I let him lead. And I was like, oh, you let him lead. It's awfully big of you. Do you even let go of the steering wheel when you let him lead? How does that work when you let him lead? Uh, I think that's often our response to Jesus. I don't know what the problem is, Jesus. I'm letting you lead as we cling white-knuckled to the steering wheel and don't get out of the driver's seat. But even if we do that, we'll just move over to the passenger seat, and we hope that our car is a driver's ed car, that at the very least we have an emergency brake we can slam on if he's going too fast in the wrong direction. The reality is our lives aren't lived looking forward. Our lives are lived today and looking back. Like, that's all we know. Everything in the future is unknown. Your entire life is lived in this moment and interpreting your past and looking at the back, looking out the back window. You are in the child's safety seat. It is the safest place for you because you're not a good driver. <laughs> you, and also, also because Jesus knows if you saw what was coming, you wouldn't be able to take another step forward. Like he knows that you can't see the future. You're not but you know what? What you can see is right now and the past so that when you get there, you'll know that you have an entire past of, I was with you. I, I'm still driving. I'm not going to let go. You are safe. And this is the worst part of the road. But I promise you that I have it all under control. And so you can, you can trust me. 
And yes, sometimes things feel like, I was asking for a fish, Jesus. This tastes strangely like venom. All I wanted was an egg, Jesus. This feels like a scorpion's tongue, tail. The Lord's prayer is a great help because every time you pray it, you're reminded, oh yeah, you're my father. Okay, I don't get it. But your kingdom come. And it comes right back to Romans 8. As everything in my life feels like, it comes back to Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? There are no, there are no whys. There are no answers to some of the whys in our lives. Or at least none that we're going to get here. I don't know why Ilona died. And the thing is, no answer would be satisfying. I mean, nothing would be helpful. Even the well-meaning answers, you know, the, you know, God just needed her more than you needed her. Well, doesn't that just make God a little too needy? Like, there's not going to be an answer this side of glory. And I don't know that there will be an answer that side of glory other than the world was broken. The world was broken back then. But it's not anymore. And even as nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, from the love of God the Father in Christ... Nothing can separate Alona from the love of God the Father in Christ. And as Michael joined us at the graveside a couple weeks ago when he was just here worshiping with us, and he just saw that verse on Alona's flag, and he said, uh, Do you know that also means that because nothing can separate you from the love of God and nothing can separate Alona from the love of God, then actually nothing can separate you and Alona. And you will be reunited 
Because Christ will come again. The kingdom of God will come. God's name will be perfectly hallowed forever. God will provide everything we need, not just for this day, but for eternal life. And all of our sins will be washed away and wiped away and dealt with completely. And there will be no more temptation. Because God, our Father, knows how to give good gifts to us. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know every word that is on our tongues. You never thought that we have and And you know how hard it has been for me and my family to pray these last four months. Thank you. That your fatherhood is not dependent on our understanding it. That your goodness does not rely on our agreeing with it. That your faithfulness does not need ours. Thank you for these four months that have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt the power of prayer, the sustaining power of prayer, of the prayers of your faithful saints here at Hope of Christ and throughout our lives who have held us so firmly and brought us to you time and again. And it is their prayers and your faithfulness that has sustained us, and we thank you and praise you. And so we pray, God, make your name hallowed. Bring your kingdom. Strengthen us for whatever work you call us to, and forgive us for our sins. Give us forgiving hearts and protect us from the evil one. In Jesus' name, amen.